Call, call on that name like this. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, the holy name. together here we're we're diving into this letter that was written by the apostle peter and we're actually reading this letter you know here was peter he he knew he was going to die soon jesus had told him he was dying soon and in fact we do know it wasn't long after this that he was crucified by nero uh, actually upside down he didn't want to be crucified upright he said he wasn't worthy of that and crucified him upside down and, and as he's writing this letter he's concerned He's like, okay, I'm about to leave. I want to make sure my, my, my family, my friends, they, they have these things to hold on to. And if you press into these things and you, and you live these things out, you will always be effective and fruitful in Christ. Always. And there is a day Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back and that glory is revealed, you'll actually participate with him in that glory. He says, therefore, I'm never going to stop reminding you of these things as long as I had that chance. And we actually get that letter. We actually have that letter preserved for us that we can read these last words of his. And the second thing he's concerned about, and we're teaching about this as a commercial for Wednesday nights. We're, we're, we're teaching through it on Wednesday nights is, is uh, the false teachers that are coming up in the body and, and how, what to watch out for, what to look out for. But he first is concerned that we... And I say we because just like my son said, hey, mama, I'm not a guest. We're not a guest to Peter's letter. We're part of the family. We can take these things to apply them in our lives to be effective and fruitful. And so we've been talking. He gives us these eight qualities, eight qualities to, um, uh, for fruitful and effectiveness in knowing Jesus, knowing Christ and, uh, and he starts off, and they all build one from another. And so uh, we're calling this from faith to love, from faith to love. And in between are, are, are these different qualities. And we've talked about faith. We've talked about virtue. Right now, we're, we're, we're talking about knowledge. We, we started talking about it last time. And so our goal is that we would live a life in which we know Jesus. Because when we know him, when we're living in that, that's when we're effective. That's when we're fruitful. That's when we're literally accomplishing our purpose and our role in this world. That's what it's about. And so step one was faith. It's a life. And, and faith, as, as Peter is describing here, as the scripture giving it to us, it's about being faithful. 
Faith is believing loyalty. It's not just a creed we keep in our minds. It's not just a list of things we say we believe, but it's demonstrating who has faith first place in, his, in our life because, he, because we were first place in his. For God so loved the world, he gave. So, and that, that takes us um, uh, uh, to the second step. And that second step was virtue, moral excellence. And, and the way Peter's intending in here, this moral excellence doesn't mean, it's not about doing things to demonstrate, it's about becoming like him. And demonstrating his moral excellence by who we become So on our faith, to our faith, when we demonstrate we have real faith, we allow Jesus to live through us. I like this definition here. Faith is to be supplemented by virtue. Virtue is right. Right conduct under discipline, which by faith is is developed. Good habits are established, and the mists of passionate desire are dissipated. When we allow Jesus to live through us, those things that... that, By putting him on, we put off the flesh. Amen? And so that takes us to knowledge. And and, uh, there's a... um, This word knowledge in here and where it's set has a very specific meaning. I'm going to give a quote from a few scholars on what it means here. This is Michael Green. This is what he says. He says, Wisdom distinguishes the good from the bad. Shows the way of flight from the bad. This knowledge is gained in the practical exercise of goodness, which in turn leads to a fuller knowledge of Jesus. If we want to know Jesus, we need to know how to live this out practically. When we live this out practically, we actually know him more. That's what Michael Green is saying here. Here's uh, uh, Walls and Anders. This is how they're putting it. Knowledge concentrates on practical knowledge or knowledge that's lived out. This kind of knowledge makes a distinction between what's true and what's not true. It's able, catch this, it's able to discern what is right versus what is wrong, what is encouraging versus what is hurtful. This immediately takes me to whoever the writer of Hebrews is, uh, amazing Bible scholar, and he puts this, he's, he's talking to a community of believers who are struggling in their faith, and, uh, and, and well, I'll give the, the setting of it in a little bit, but there's this one verse he puts in there, um, and it kind of, I think, really culminates this whole idea of learning how to do, apply this practical knowledge, and here it is in Hebrews 5.14, it says, but solid food is for the mature, Solid foods for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, that is a mouthful scripture. How many of you know that's a whole lot in one verse? All right, so let's just kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, and and what, is, what, is he, uh, what is he telling us here? Number one, there's such a thing as solid food. How many of us realize in our faith there's such a thing as milk that babies eat, and there's such a thing as solid food, which is for maturity? And this is what he's writing to. He's in in the context, again, we'll see the context in a minute, but he's saying, I have solid food for you. I have something for you that will make you mature. And I'll I'll give the punchline ahead of time. It's about rightly understanding who Jesus is and how to live him out. That is solid food. And he goes on, he says this, maturity then 
is the ability to what? To distinguish good from evil. Now, most of us say, well, that's kind of pretty easy, isn't it? Really? How easy in the world is it? Paul, the, the scriptures talk about this. How many people call evil good and good evil? You see, it actually takes work. It takes practice. It takes exercise to understand. Because the Bible says this. There is a wisdom that seems right unto man, but in the end, it leads to death. God says this, that the wisdom of man is foolish to God. But the wisdom of God is foolish to the world. So this isn't a given. It's not a given that we should automatically just be able to distinguish what is good from evil, just to automatically know. It is something that we actually have to mature into. Well, how do we do that? It comes from knowledge. It comes from powers of discerning. Powers of discernment. That's what that means. You have powers of discernment granted to you by the Holy Spirit. Those powers of discernment have to actually be what? Trained. Take it to the next one. Trained. It says your powers of discernment are trained, how? By constant practice. So here's the picture that we have then. The picture is that we are called, there is something that God has for us. How many know that the heart of God is he wants us to know him? And this is uh, eternal life, that you might know God and know his son, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he wants us to know him. That's his desire for us. But it is not a given. Just, you know, I, I walk in and I open the Bible and I read it and I know a little bit about him. It doesn't mean I know him. Well, maybe I went to the altar. Maybe I made that commitment. Maybe I made that covenant, covenant and he's in my life. How many, how many people know you can get married and still not develop the relationship? You can turn to your spouse and say, he's not talking about you. <clears throat> we, we need to actually grow in knowing him. And he says, what? He says, that's how you will understand who Jesus is, which when you understand that, you'll know why you're here. You'll understand your purpose. And that is the practical apply, applying of this wisdom, this distinguishing from good and evil. And it comes from constant practice. So we distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, when we what? Have a right understanding of Jesus. And that was the problem that was going on here in Hebrews. Here's what he writes. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Here's Jesus praying in the garden, sweating blood, knowing that the Father could save him from his death. And he knew the father heard him. He knew the father heard him. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Even though he knew the father heard him, he was still willing to do what the father wanted over what he wanted. He was still willing to say, not what I want, but what you want. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being made perfect, what that means is perfecting out his obedience. In other words, perfectly obeying the Father till it is completely finished and accomplished. That's what it means. It doesn't mean he wasn't perfect in being. 
It means he perfected his maturity. He obeyed completely. And when that happened, he literally became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the moment he says this, the people that he's talking to, they're going, wait a minute, we know all about Melchizedek. What's Jesus got to do about Melchizedek? He's writing to a Jewish community, and and this Jewish community, they're under persecution for their faith, and they're really struggling because of of what's happening against them. And he's telling them, listen, I have some things I want to tell you that will build you up and strengthen you, but you need to be able to distinguish between good and evil, between what's right and what's wrong. And the way you will do that is when you understand who Jesus is. And you'll understand who Jesus is when you are able to actually read the scriptures appropriately. Now, these are people trained in the scriptures. These are people who grew up in the Bible. About this, I have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. It's hard for me to tell you because you don't want to hear. Because you already know, you've already got it in your mind. But I'm telling you, there's a Jesus that is bigger than the circumstances you're facing. There's Jesus that is actually the one who will enable you through all that you have in this life. But you have to see who he is fully and completely. And so, he says, from that context, but solid food is for the mature. That's it. That's what distinguishes solid food, knowing Jesus, mature, because you've been trained by constant use. Now, the thing about being trained with constant use means what? That means when I begin to do something and the first time I do it, I'm probably not going to be very good at it. I have to practice, and I have to practice, and I have to practice. So here becomes my question. How do we develop a right understanding of Jesus that leads us to the practical knowledge of God's will in our life? How do we develop that? How do we build this? Now, I love this quote from this scholar. He says this. He says, the knowledge that's meant here is discernment and discretion, wise practice in daily life of what one has learned of God's will. So how to put, how to put God's will to practice every day? And he uses this analogy. He says, an athlete may know the rules of the sport, but effective play requires knowing how to handle and move the ball in the midst of the game. There's a big difference between the person who knows the rules of the sport and the person who plays the sport. How many know that? How many people you, you, you watch? <laughs> I know, I know y'all sports fans here. I know exactly what it's like. You're watching the professional athletes who are the elite of the elite and you watch them and somebody does something and you're screaming at the television. You, whatever, you fill in the blank. You can't play. You're not worth anything. And this guy's been practicing and playing all his life. And if you were to get up and try that, you would what? We would pull things we didn't know we had. It would hurt in places we didn't know it could hurt. So there is a great book, and I thought, what a better way of of trying to grab this understanding of putting into practice our Christian faith and using this analogy of an athlete. There's a great book. It's called It's Not Because I'm Better Than You. It's by an NFL player. His name is Don Carey. Uh, And he was, at the time he wrote this book, he had been in the NFL for seven years. Now, that might not sound like a long time to a lot of us, but there are less than 600 players of all time who have been in the NFL for seven years or more. Less than 600, thousands, tens of thousands of players, less than 600 have been there for more than seven years. 
So he must know something about this. And the whole premise of this book, he says, it's not because I'm better, quicker, faster, stronger. He said, there are younger guys that come up all the time who are better, better, faster, quicker, stronger. It's not because I'm better than you. And and he gives out these principles. And so I'm taking these principles and uh, borrowing from his principles of developing his athleticism and I'm applying them. It it really parallels Paul's message to us in the book of Philippians. It's pretty cool. So we're going to look at some of the stuff Paul says in Philippians in light of how to train to, to be Jesus athlete. Why? Because Paul says this, we need to run the race like an athlete, like an Olympian. And when you run the race like an Olympian, that means everything else is put to the side. Nothing distracts you. This is what you're about. So Paul is using the same analogy. So what was step number one? Humility. Humility. So one of the things uh, Don Carey was saying, he's saying, you know, the only way I can make this is when, if I don't think I'm better than the guy across from me, when I understand I'm not, and I'm willing to listen to the coaches, I'm willing to listen to those who, uh, uh, who um, uh, might have something to say to me, even if they haven't done what I have done, but they see something. I need to make myself less if I want to make myself more. So the first principle, yes. Well, here's Philippians. Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, we could probably stop right there, and that would, just, that would change our lives all by itself. You know, most people think the opposite of love is hate. It's not. Hate is not the opposite of love. God, the Bible actually says God hates. He says, these six things I hate, yet even seven. It's not. The opposite of love is self and fear. Self and fear. God hates sin. Why? Because of what it does to you and me. But he loves you and me. Why? Because he laid himself down for us. Count others more significant than yourself. The Apostle Paul, we we talked about this on a Wednesday night, not a couple of weeks ago. He said this, he says, why are you going to court against one another? Why are you suing one another? Why are you taking the issues that you have to, to uh, the, the secular court? He says, why don't you bring the issues up? Is there not one person who's wise enough to discern? Are you not humble enough to be wronged rather than sue somebody? It's like, ouch. Apostle Paul, you don't live in the 21st century, man. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Think of the interests of others before your own. Now, where is he getting this example? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, to be grasped. What is he saying? Here is Jesus seated in glory. He says, you need to have, I need to have, we need to have the same mindset Jesus had. Okay, what mindset did Jesus have? Here he is seated in glory, king. He says, I don't need to hold on to this if it's going to help them. Father, I'll give this up if that's what's going to help them. It says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. The, the actual term means a human shell. He was in a human shell. He humbled himself. It, it, first of all, that's humility enough. 
That's humility enough, but that's not what it says. By being obedient to the point of death, and not just any death, even death on a cross. The crucifixion was the single most shameful death you could die in that time. It was used to humiliate the enemies so that enemies, which if you knew this is what was going to happen to you, you wouldn't rebel. That was the purpose. That was why crucif- how crucifixion was used. Therefore, what is the result? And see, this is what we need to learn. Why humility? Why is it God just wants to debase us and put us down? No, because it is through humility God can actually exalt his work. Therefore, God has, ex- has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jim Elliott put it this way, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Humility. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Humility. Number two, deception of talent. Carrie tells this story uh, because he was not the most talented guy in college, yet he was the guy that made it to the NFL. And, And years later, he's in the NFL. He comes back to his college, and the coach says, man, you need to meet this young guy. This guy is talented. He's far more talented than you will. He's going to go far in the NFL. He's going to be amazing. And he went back, and he watched this guy work, and he pulled the guy aside, and he said, listen, let me give you some pointers. Let me give you some tips. Now, if you were a college guy and a pro was wanting to give you tips, but you know what that guy heard? I don't need to hear his tips. I'm more talented than he is. I got more talent. The deception of talent. You see, we're not meant to walk this thing called the Christian walk on our own strengths and capabilities. We are meant to do it on his, on his capabilities. This is what Paul writes in Philippians. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you hear what Paul's saying here? I am not putting anything on uh, what I used to have, even what I have now. And if what I had, I was in love with it and lost it, I don't care. I'm pressing forward. If I want to be effective and fruitful, I need to not be deceived by what I have. I need to count it as loss and press into what he has. Listen, this is what he says. And be found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I am here and I stand before you only because of the grace of God. I am righteous because he is righteous. Anything you see in me that you say, man, that's good. That has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him and my submitting to him. The only thing I can claim is all the bad stuff. 
This is what Paul's saying. I'm saying that too. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do we want to know the power of the resurrection of Christ and may share in his sufferings? Well, we may not want that part. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not being deceived by talent. Number three, critical efficiency. Critical efficiency. So this is what he said. He says, so how in the world is a guy who knows he's not the most talented, who knows he's not uh, better, faster, quicker, stronger, who knows that there are young guys constantly coming up wanting to take his place. Every year there's some young guy, probably faster, probably more talented, trying to take his spot. How is he going to maintain his spot? How is he going to keep going forward? It's called critical efficiency. He took his positions, the position that he was playing. He played special teams. And he literally mapped out every second from the moment of the snap. What position is my body? What position is it when they're here? What position is it when they're here? What position is it when it's this play? What do I do at second two? What do I do at second three? Do I turn this much or this much or this much? Do I have it this much or this much? Everything was broken down to critical efficiency. He says, not because I'm better than you. It's because I'm willing to put the effort in you're not willing to put in. What does Paul have to say about that? Not that I have already attained. Now, let me say this. Because that last statement I had, I'm willing to put the effort in you're not willing to put in. This is Don referring to uh, um, The younger guys who are better, faster, quicker, stronger trying to take his spot. He says, the reason you're not going to take my spot is you're not willing to put in what you need to. How does this apply to us? How this applies to us is understanding that our walk is not about punching a ticket and waiting for Jesus to come back. But our walk is about everything that we focus on each day. That's how we learn to distinguish between what's good and evil. And the day I fall down because I didn't get it right, I get, I get back up and go, that's not the way to do it. The day I'm lined up on the line and I go forward and they beat me, I go, I got to find a different way. Not that I have already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that. I'm not there, he says. I'm not perfect. I'm not there. So I keep going forward. Why? Because Jesus already made me his own. This is me honoring him. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Do you hear the language he's using here? He's using language that says this takes effort. This takes work. Part of the work is not crying over the spilt milk and where it's gone and what's happening and what's going behind. Part of the work is straining forward in spite of what's behind. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Here's Paul talking about the same thing the writer of Hebrews is. How do we develop this maturity? How do we develop this solid food? How do we develop an understanding who Jesus really is? By continuing to press forward in him. Listen, I had this conversation with, uh, it was my son the other day, actually. 
he was talking about an issue that was private and personal. So I'm not going to tell you what the issue was. <laughs> but he said this. He said, you know, I'm really actually afraid to take this to the Lord. I said, why? He says, because I have my hopes so much on this, and I'm afraid that if I hear him, I might be listening more to my hopes than him. Oh, wow. I said, that's actually really, really good insight, bud. I can appreciate that. A heart that wants to serve and is afraid of getting themselves in it. I said, but I think you got it a little backwards. He said, how? I said, so what you're telling me is you're not going to run to the one who has the answers for life and the way through because you're afraid that he might, what, have the answers for life and the way through? He goes, hmm. You got a point. But that's what we do. You know, we get covered in muck and mire, we fail, we fall, or, or we, we just don't want God to touch it and we don't realize everything that it is that we're desiring to fully be to, and, and to have in our life only comes when we run to him. But instead of running to him, we run afraid, away from him. Let those who are mature think this way, and if in anything you, will think, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So that's number four, dealing with distractions. Number five. Dealing with distractions. No, did I do that one? I didn't do that one yet. Dealing with distractions. Thank you. Here's the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, and their God is their belly, and their glory their shame, with minds set on earthly things. It's not good when we don't keep distractions away. Brothers, join me in imitating me, keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Jesus told us in a parable. There was some seed. It came up. It was doing good. But the seed was rocky. Or the, seed, or the, the, the soil was rocky or the soil was thorny. It choked the word out. Things got hard. One of the things Don Carey was saying, he says, one of the means that I am able to, to, not because I'm better than you, is that I don't allow things in my life that will keep me from the goal. You see, if it's not about my talent to begin with, then I'm not resting on that. I'm resting on him. Are we allowing things in our walk with the Lord that is keeping us from the goal? Are the things that we, we're about to have communion. This is part of the whole point of communion. Is to come back, continually come back and examine and examine and wash and get clean. What are the distractions? 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and, in, and if and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, yes, there can be distractions. Distractions can be all kinds of things. It could be everything from sins that could come into our life to trials we go through to other things other people do. There can be distractions coming from every, every wall. But he's saying, listen, we need to stand in him. Why? Because all of this is just that, a distraction. It is a distraction. Do not allow yourselves to be deceived by this. Hold firm. There is a crown. Many know that sometimes you look around and you feel like, Jesus, how long? It could be what you see in the world. It could be what you see in your own life. But do you hear? I want you to see this as a letter. This is Paul writing to people he loves. He says, I love and long for you. I love and long for you. I'm I'm remembering these things with tears. I don't want you to be in that situation. He's not talking about earning anything. He's talking about not allowing ourselves to be overcome. How does that happen when we don't run to him? And we're afraid. We run from him. So the last one was this, is autistic focus, autistic focus. And he says this, he makes this comment. He says, we have a lot to learn uh, from those in the autistic community. He says, one of the, he had a, a um, person he, he worked with uh, who was autistic. And he said, one of the things that he was learning from them is that this person had this just innate, amazing attention to details. Like uh, one time they, they, someone comes in and says, hey guys, it's 9.30, it's uh, uh, time for lights out, time to put, you know, you know, put your stuff away, time to go to bed. And his response was, Yo, you mean 9.30 p.m. Well, most of us go, okay, yeah. But no, not okay, yeah, there is a distinction, isn't there? And this is what he is saying. To be a successful athlete, to be among the elite of the elite, to be one of the person who can be there for seven years, less than 600 people in the history of the NFL, there is this laser focus attention to detail. When he, was, when he was talking about his position and when he would do, he literally would have somebody with a stopwatch. How many seconds to do this? How many seconds to do that? In this kind of a play, how long would this take? He'd go back and watch the films over and over. Where was it right? Where was it wrong? Even when it was right, how could it have been better? Attention to detail. How many of us pay that much attention to our walk with the Lord? Anywhere near that kind of attention to our walk with the Lord. Is Jesus that important to us? Because he, you are that important to him. 
That's how much you mean to him. I promise you, he had every step to the cross measured. He was talking about it for weeks before it happened. We even told he left glory for it to happen. Here's Paul talking about it. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to, I don't know if that's, my kids will tell me if I got how bad I said those. They both speak, you know, they both read Greek and they correct me all the time. But I, these, these ladies, I tell them, agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. See, we like that. We've heard that song. We've heard that so much. It's a song. You rejoice in the Lord always, right? And we miss the power of it. How often are we to rejoice? <laughs> when I'm singing the song. Don't bother me otherwise. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God... That doesn't make sense. If you're looking for the peace of God to make sense in your life, you'll never get there. If you're trusting him to make sense of your life, you will. Let me say that again. If you're looking for the peace of God to make sense in your life, you'll never get there. But if you're trusting him to make sense of your life, you will. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do that. And the God of peace will be with you. What is he saying? Pay laser sharp focus to the details. What details? Rejoice in all things. Pray in all things. Seek him in all things. Trust Jesus in all things. That means what? Every, and, and how do you do it? By practice. By practice. That's how you get there. It, it's not going to, if you haven't been practicing, it's not going to happen tomorrow. I know, I know that's a shock. Anything I'm not practicing and working on, you know, you you step away from the gym for a month, the next day is not going to be like it was a month ago. How many can say amen to that? Well, so then you, but by returning, you practice and you do. So solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. You know you have powers of discernment? Remember when I very first read that, I was like, I have powers of discernment? Oh. We got superpowers. You have a superpower. But where does it come from? Oh, training? That's actually a good thing. It's not on talent. It's not on gifting. It's not on somebody, what somebody else has. 
trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Remember the context. What is that about? It's about grabbing a hold of Jesus and understanding Jesus, a living Jesus. This is the knowledge Paul's talking about. And so with that, I'll end with this quote. Knowledge, including knowledge of Scripture that is not turned into practical action, that does not produce the character of God, Jesus, in one's life, is worse than useless. For it can blind one to his or her true sorry state. I was like, ouch. See, if we're running after Jesus so we know more of Jesus and we're not actually measuring our life about it, we actually can become blinded to the sorry state we're in. That wasn't any easier for me to hear than than anybody. I was like, ouch. But ouch in a good way. Because that's the kind of reminder we need. That's the kind of thing that makes us fruitful and effective. That's the kind of thing we add to faith and virtue in our lives. Amen?